Shamai hello and welcome to this podcast. I'm your host, Sam Cook. Over the next half an hour, you'll be hearing from some of this country's biggest stars. From where they got their big break, to struggles that they may have faced along the way. In this week's episode, we'll be putting West End star and head of development at Wild Flame Productions, Connie Fisher, in the spotlight. Hello, Connie Fisher. How are you? Hello, Sam. I'm very well, thank you. We've uh, we've got through some Zoom tech support, but I think we're we're okay now. Do you know what? It just gets more complicated, doesn't it? You know, I thought I I learned everything during COVID times where we had to jump on Zoom and Teams, but it still eludes me. I'm still pressing buttons, and it's still going wrong. I feel slightly embarrassed whenever it does go wrong because it feels like now we're at the point where we should know how to do this. I agree. I, I think there's definitely a judgment when it goes wrong. Like, it must be your end. It can't be possibly my computer. Yeah. Internal mic? What does that mean? Where is the internal mic? What do I speak into? And then where do you look on the screen? Mm. Always. Oh, that is a nightmare. Because you always look slightly cross-eyed when you're, when you're looking down at the screen. And you, you can't, like, I'm looking at the camera right now. But do you know what I mean? Do you look at the camera or do you look at me? No, I, I, look, I look at you. So my eyes are always slightly skew-if on the on the screen they're going different directions at the moment don't keep an eye on it too much um but uh connie we could talk about zoom all day let's not do that because that would be a, a fairly boring conversation um but we're actually going to talk about your career today and just kind of going back to the start for you connie I, I suppose you you got your big break on um how do you solve a problem like maria in 2006 yes. so yes. talk to us a little bit more about how all that came about well, uh, 2006, gosh, it's a long time ago, isn't it? Um, I'll try and remember. So I went to drama school in uh, 2002 to 2005 in London. Uh, and I'd always been, you know, very driven to go to drama school. And I eventually won a scholarship to Mount View Academy in London to study musical theatre. So it was sort of the, the, the rada for musical theatre. And uh, it was the best time of my life. Three amazing years of training. And then when I left, it was just tumbleweed. You know, where do you go? Just trying to, I got an agent, which was great, but I was doing those first nervous auditions. And so I was out into the world in my first year of being a trained performer in musical theatre. And I'd always be the bridesmaid, never the bride. I'd never quite get the part. And then I was working in Pizza Express. I was serving really famous people. I mean, I remember serving Gary Barlow and thinking, well, maybe he'll spot me. <laughs> and then I thought, you know what, pizza, it, it was, it, I was eating too much pizza, to be honest. So I decided to go into telesales. And um, I'd always, well, the advert was a bit misleading. And I ended up, it was basically telesales. It wasn't a, a publishing house as I'd hoped it might be in the advert. But it was good for acting uh, and actors and musical theatre people because you could dip out for auditions. So I, I took that job on for nine months. And actually in between, I did a panto down in Milford Haven, which was my first ever job. Uh, so yeah, I, I left, long story short, I left drama school in 2005, did a panto, ended up in telesales and then heard on the radio that Lloyd Webber was looking for a shop girl to play Maria. And I thought, you know, I've trained, but essentially that's what I am right now. I am in I'm basically working in a shop you know I've got a nine to five and uh, and so I I went for Maria and and really the rest is history I, I never looked back it was 
my agent who I got from drama school said do not go for this because I can get I can get you first cover you can play first cover I said no I don't want to be the understudy for Maria I want to be Maria she said it's the first of its kind you really don't want to be going for this it'll be like big brother for musical theater I said brilliant bring it on and so I went for it um and I loved it loved every second it was a boot camp uh of of uh of musical theater and it was it was amazing it was the best uh the best catalyst into the industry I could have hoped for did you have any reservations yourself like your agent about going on a a show that had just been launched you know what when I left drama school I had won musical theater young singer of the year I had got my first job in panto and everyone expects to start on on the bottom rung and work their way up and that is expected. And I was expecting to do that. I wasn't expecting to jump into a leading role. And so, of course, with that, you are nervous that the industry won't, it will think, oh, she's not ready. And she's, you know, it was more, I was more worried about my peers and my in, in the industry, really. But then I looked at myself and thought, what have I got to lose? Uh, right now, I've been out of, you know, out of uh, performing for about, well, months at that point, months and months, maybe six months at that point before the audition, the first audition for Maria. And I had nothing to lose. So you have to question, you know, what shame is there in going on TV and and and, and trying to, to show your best self and showcase yourself. So, I, yeah, I, I didn't really think too hard about it because I didn't have anything to lose. What would you say your fondest memories of being on that show were? Every week must have been like a learning curve for you and, and you know, learning more about the industry and kind of it's a totally different thing to what you've done before. But what would you say were your fondest memories of actually kind of performing on there? Oh, um, I love the live TV. Oh, just knowing, just I remember the countdown in the studio is electric. It was just so exciting, the, the competition of it. Um, and you knew that you had just days to prepare for something. It was just, it was brilliant. It was just thrilling. It was very exciting. Um, my fondest moment, I think, has to be the pilot, which obviously no one ever saw. Um, uh, so it was basically a rehearsal for the live show where we all sang something to see whether the costume changes could have been done in the time and whether everything was okay to go before the first live uh, show and Ronan Keating was performing on it so they did a pre-record of his performance and he had to decide who would win in his opinion and I remember he said me in the pilot wow I, I mean I could feel the girls like their eyes were burning me <laughs> <laughs> I thought oh Ronan Keating thinks I could win this maybe I could <laughs> um, so I think it was just the weekly roller coaster and the, the the excitement when you were still in the competition and this, the belief really because when you go to drum school and you graduate with a first class first class honors degree in musical theater and then you work in a pizza place and sell telly you know you're doing telly sales for a living you, you start to lose belief in yourself and I was losing belief in my ability uh, as a singer as a performer as an actor. And just thought, what have I done? <laughs> How did I end up here at 22? Um, so I think Ronan Keating gave me a boost. Did you ever think that you could win yourself? Or did you go into it thinking you could potentially win it? 
I think you have to believe that the casting is right for you. It's the you go for a part and you think, am I the right casting for this? Is you know, or am I faking it till I make it? And I believed that I had always been. I had always been compared to Julie Andrews in every aspect. Um, in fact, my telly sales name was something like Julie. Um, so because you wouldn't like to use your own name. So um, everyone, everyone had always compared me to Ju- Julie Andrews. And I remember, you know, playing parts in Carousel, very kind of Rodgers and Hammerstein shows in drama school. So there was always an association with classic book musicals, um, pre-60 musicals and Julie. And I think coming from Pembrokeshire, I always sounds a little bit posh. So <laughs> it kind of played in my favour. And being Welsh, I had quite a melodic voice. So um, I did think I had qualities that could win. But whether I could hold it together on live TV was the big question. Something I chatted to Sophie Evans, who obviously was involved in another of Andrew Lloyd Webber's shows, was the fact that everyone in the cast was so close on those programmes. With reality programmes such as Big Brother and, and you know, I'm a Celeb, you, you were seeing quite a lot of conflict. But whenever somebody left in a programme like an Andrew Lloyd Webber show, everyone you could tell that everyone was gutted. I mean, they're not friends. They're competitors. And the first, oh, I was in the first one, I'll be honest with you. No, no, we were in there to win it. Everyone was in there to win it. And the things that were said inside that house were, were not kind, some of them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, everyone w- was really competitive. But were we supportive of each other as performers? Yes. You know, it was a, it was a showmance. It was, you know, it, it, you were supportive of your peers because you respected their talent. But were we friends? I've only retained one friendship. And to be honest with you, in any show, in any cast, if you come away from a show with a real friend, then that is an achievement. Because you're just people coming together in one to create one piece of magic. And friendships are more than that. Friendships are everlasting. And Siobhan, who I made friends with on that show, we still we're still, you know, we're still friends to this day, which is I think nearly 20 years on, is is amazing achievement. And shows like that don't really exist anymore, do they? Musical theatre shows. We've got this new, there's a Mamma Mia one coming out very soon to ITV. But do you think we need a show like that still? Yes, absolutely, I do. I'm not certain that going back on stunt casting is the way. I now work in TV. I work, I've got a, a second career, a new career in TV. And my Whole, my everyday revolves around what next for TV. You know, what should we be watching? What do you want to watch? And it's it's a really creative industry. And so to see Mamma Mia casting now, and I'm super excited to watch it, of course. But we've done that. What's the next iteration? How can we use what we know, but perhaps fuse it with musical theatre in a different way? That that's what I would ask. Um, so I'm super excited to see. You know, if you'd have said me to me, go to Greece and. And, and do your shows out there, of course. Yeah, to do- sounds like you had the bum end of the deal, didn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Why, why go on the first one? I should have waited 20 years. We live and learn. <laughs> no, I, I, I look back with fondness on all of it. I look back, you know, even to use, as you say, to the, to the friendships or the friendships were formed in there. I look back on huge fondness at the time. There was no animosity and I wouldn't have changed a thing, even though it wasn't all easy. 
And perhaps there wasn't, I would say at the time with the shows, I don't know what Sophie told you, but um, I would say that there perhaps wasn't the support post the show that there is nowadays. And I hope for shows like Mamma Mia that, okay, people win and lose in competitions, but these TV shows do have an impact on people's lives when you take part. And I think there should be a little more aftercare for those who don't win and those who do. You bring me seamlessly on to my next questions. It's like you've peeked at my at the questions that, that the route that I'm going down for this interview. But <laughs> how, how did your life change immediately after winning the show? Because you suddenly went from uh, a job where not many people were, were looking at you or caring about your life to suddenly you've been on this huge TV program. There was a lot of scrutiny about your talent and there was a lot of run up to the opening night to see how good she was. And actually, you know, what I didn't realise actually when I signed up to it, that I was, I, I'd only won a, a, a two show contract per week. I was only, only supposed to be on two shows a week. And the next day it was like, you're in the recording studio. So I think I won on the Saturday, didn't I? And then I remember there was an after show party and then Lloyd Webber said, better go home now because you're in the recording studio on Monday. We recorded the cast album. Then I recorded my album. Then I was into six weeks of rehearsals for the show and you didn't have time to blink. And there was a documentary. So between then and actually getting into, stu- into a studio rehearsal space, I didn't, it was a whirlwind. I can't remember my own name, but there was a lot of, I remember there's a lot of scrutiny of can she do it? <laughs> and I, I did feel like I need to back myself now. You know, Ronan Keating backs me. I can do it. <laughs> and and by that point, the nation had backed me. And I really felt a lot of pressure not to let them down. And another thing I hadn't quite appreciated when I was going for it is that the sound of music had never, on stage, had never had a good review. So... That must have been quite a lot of pressure for you. <laughs> like, did you, did you feel that pressure? Something like that would just overcome me. Well, nowadays, if you don't get five, four or five stars in the press who's going to come see your show if you're a three-star show it's like you're sort of like if I'm staying for a week I might see it uh but if you're coming to London what's the top show you want to be that five-star review show across the board and I just thought oh wow I mean can I do this anyway bizarrely uh, I went through about three captains before opening night and the actual Von Trapp Alex Hansen who opened on November the 3rd, 2006, or whatever it was, he had about three shows with me. But how are we going to get a five-star review if we've only just rehearsed for three shows? Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, we got five stars, and that was, that was that, really. We ran and ran, and it was the first time Sign of Music had ever had, had, had rave reviews, obviously apart from the film. And there was a huge um, mirroring, you know, there was a huge expectation from the film that the that this stage show would deliver the same kind of things. And there are a lot more, there were a lot more songs in the stage show. So those got cut. (laughs) And there was probably a lot more pressure on you personally as well, because everyone had already seen you perform on the show. You know, at at that point, I was just thinking professionally, thinking, you know, this is, this is reputation. This is everyone's reputation. This is Lloyd Webber's. I was feeling the pressure of reputation, but of course, there was personal intrusion and, and invasion. I didn't like that. I was followed by a number of journalists in cars. And my sh- I had a chauffeur, which was nice. And he would drive too fast through lights to try and avoid them. And that wasn't a fun time. And personally, you know, it was hard on relationships. So everything you knew 
changed in one moment when Graham Norton shouts, honey, mm-hmm. that was it. My world changed. And I would say in hindsight for the better. But in in the following months, I did question, gosh, you know, where w- w- what is my life going to be like? I need to take control of it because it, it was no longer my life. I became a commodity overnight. And as the years went by, I needed to take back control. And it's fair to say that in 2011, your life kind of changed again when you were diagnosed with congenital sulcus vocalis. So yeah. tell us a little bit more about that. I always knew I had quite, um, uh, I, it sounds, it sounds really arrogant. Uh, I had quite an incredible voice. It could do incredible things. But I also knew that it would tire quite quickly. And I knew how to manage that throughout drama school. and. It always had like an air about it, but like an airiness about it at the top, which I always felt wasn't quite right. But as soon as I went to show, I had every voice specialist all over me. Is she all right? Is she okay? I had everything. And and everyone said, you're fine, you're fine. But uh, about four or five months into the show, maybe a bit longer, I had a vocal hemorrhage because I had a cold. I took some neurofen, ibuprofen, and my blood vessels were raised and it popped. So I had a vocal hemorrhage, which is, you know, quite common with singers. Um, common, but it's not it's not a joyful thing. But it needed investigation and it needed time off. Um, that was a hard bit. Then from that, I came back fine. And I did another year or so in the West End at the Palladium. But I knew something wasn't quite right. I knew something from that moment still needed to be further explored. Had I not recovered, you know, question, I question whether I had recovered well enough, whether had I been given enough time off, because all people really wanted you to be was Maria at that time. They didn't care too much about Connie. That's the truth. And to be honest, I didn't care too much Connie about Connie. I cared about being Maria at that time and the pressure of not letting people down and seeing people at stage door. Performers you know, don't always do that. But I felt that I wanted to be there and thank people because they had completely changed my world and I was grateful. Vocally, eight shows a week is really exhausting anyway. It's knackering. Um, But I knew something wasn't quite right. So when I left the show, I then had some further exploration just in Harley Street. And they said, I think we're going to have to look at uh, under, under operation. And they said, actually, we found something that, you need to go to America to see about. And basically what the condition is, is like, it's a congenital condition. So it's something I was born with. And it's basically my vocal cords have a little hole in them. And as you know, just hit the top notes, your cords need to vibrate at really high frequency to vibrate really fast. But with a hole in them, it slows it down. And that hole is getting bigger and bigger. And whether that's through work or or just time it would always have been that way that they would have slowed down these vocal cords and they're both matching on each side so they managed to 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 sort one of the sides out in America um but on the other side they didn't manage to do that so there was an imbalance I had to sort of like balance that out with learning to kind of sing again and it just all became really singing should be fun and joyful and instead of singing from the heart, I began singing from my head mm. and and having to think overthink it. And I think that's where it became not enjoyable anymore. What was it like being told that you'd never sing again? You'd potentially never sing again? 
Well, I didn't want to believe it. And I didn't believe it. And, 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 and that's turned out to be fine. You know, I can sing, but I would never do an eight show a week again. They were right about that. Um, but just because it was tiring. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. I, I, I was for a, t- for a period I was heartbroken. Um, but hearts mend, you move on and you have to, you know what? I feel like it's reflecting this morning before this podcast and, and thinking, you know, it's been two decades my, in my twenties. Uh, it was about being Maria and being Connie in my thirties. It was about finding my new career, finding a solid career, finding a future for Connie. And last week I turned 40. And I've got two kids and they've got twins. So it's about them now. So it's just really, it's, it's nice to split it into decades and say, that was a chapter, move on, transition, what next? And something like that probably has a, a profound impact on your mental health. How did that affect you at the time? Well, again, it's just another knock. I think when you're in the West End, if you have a weakness, people pounce on that. And there was a lot of bullying at the time in the cast, in the first cast, and it wasn't great. And that was mainly, I think, because some of the, shall we say, more seasoned actors didn't like the fact that the audience were a TV audience rustling their sweets in the front row, going, there's Connie off the telly. And I was loving that. I loved the fact that suddenly we had a different audience to theatre. But some of the RSC actors or the others, you know, in the cast weren't as pleased with the audience and their reaction to our theatre show. And there was a lot of bullying towards me at the time. So I didn't, I think when you have a weakness then as well, it's, you start to think, wow, this is going to be tough. Because Mm -hmm. people always go, oh yeah, but she's struggling. Ah, that's not what you want. I've never, I'd never struggled before. So to struggle, it doesn't, it does impact on your mental health, but, um, you know, I had a great, great support from friends, um, my family, and 20 years on, I only remember the good bits, really. And, and would you say that you've learned things from that experience to kind of help keep your, that, that side of your brain kind of active now, like keep your mental health in check? Uh, you've got to check yourself and you, how, how am I today? How am I feeling about where I'm at in life? And I'm very content. I'm more content than I've ever been in my entire life. Even hitting the big four zero, I feel, you know, having kids was really grounding for me. And what I didn't want, I'll be honest with you, you know, you can recall the negatives because it's all always interesting, isn't it, for, for podcasts and tabloids. But I think recounting the positives is what I, I take through life. And the overall for me was so positive. I feel like that moment changed my life. Everyone who phoned changed my life. And I will, honestly, I am Connie because of that moment. I don't know who I'd be today if I hadn't won that show. Um, I feel, and I'm more grounded than ever since having my kids. I know who I am now. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like you've got to check yourself. But I'm, I, I am quite a positive person, quite resilient. But for others who've been through a process, I know of others who I was close to at the time, who've been through drama school, who went through the kind, same kind of shows alongside people like Sophie, didn't win and really had a tough time with their mental health. So I'm lucky that I won 
in many ways. Focusing on those positives that you refer to, uh, you, you've got quite a lot of strings to your bow, Connie. Uh, you, you know, you've done acting, you've done presenting, uh, you're now head of development at Wild Flame. Would you say that you prefer one particular role over another? Well, my full time and job for the past 10 years has been in TV development and I've been carving that career for a decade now. And I think um, that is that is my future. And they've just been chapters. They're just yeah, difficult to answer because it's been just been for me. It hasn't been a mix of things like I still do teach uh, on the side, musical theatre, hopefuls who want to go to drama school or I've got competitions. And I love that as a passion project, as a hobby. But job wise, career wise, I've been quite. Um, I, I remember the curtain coming down on one of my tours um, and on, on the Bernstein tour of Wonderful Town. I think it's 2012. And I saw it coming down. I was like, that's the end of it. No more. No more singing. No more. And I just cut it off. And I thought, it's brave, hard, but you can't mourn it. You just have to move on. Find another career. Found another career built on that. Didn't win a competition for that one. But <laughs> I've won a few BAFTAs since, so that's all right. <laughs> Each the, well, exactly. That's that. Yeah, and and that was going to be kind of the the next point is, um, and it's probably impossible for you. But what would you say has been the proudest moment of your career? Well, career or life? Career, life, any. I'll accept any answer. Twins. Having Winnie and Rosie, proudest moment of my life, honestly. Through COVID, nobody even knew I was pregnant. It was, uh, it was, it was awful because I, I lost my both my dad uh, to cancer at, um, during COVID and my nan during COVID. And six weeks after my dad passed, I got pregnant, and I'd waited so long, and I'd sort of given up hope, and I was even questioning, did I want a family because I because it wasn't happening eight years after after trying and and to, and to carry twins through covid and uh and to have them uh they're just the, honestly the proudest the proudest thing i'm just i burst with pride every morning i jump out of bed to see them <laughs> and i'm not a morning person as you can imagine being a bit of a showgirl uh i don't like an early morning but uh now i've got kids or two so yeah they're my proudest achievement in life um certainly and i can the legacy of Maria is always there, but the legacy of kids is just a wonderful, is the, my proudest accolade. What's the transition like working at a job in TV where it's very intense, very full on, and, and being a mum, two young twins, what's that like? Challenging, isn't it? <laughs> I think, yeah. I guess I'm slightly older mum now, 40, and my twins have just turned two, and um twin twin toddlers is challenging I'm gonna lie um what's it like I but I think having kids put puts your career interest into perspective you know I'm a very driven motivated person and um one of my best friends actually a few years ago when I was starting out in 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 tv sent me a postcard and it says on it some people wish it would happen some people want it to happen some people make it happen and I try to be the latter every day. I just try to make it happen. <laughs> and whether that's, you know, being a good mum, setting setting time aside to put my phone down and not be working when I'm at home. And then when I'm in work, be wholly focused on that. I think have to compartmentalise. And I'm, I'm not the best at that. And I'm still trying to be the best I can be. 
Um, but yeah, be, being a mum and having a career is a juggling act, isn't it? Well, it wouldn't know, but it is. And Connie, we always end these podcasts uh, rather reflectively. We like to look back. Um, so for you, if you had, uh, if knowing what you know now, if you had some advice to your younger self and had a chat with your younger self, what would you say to them? Well, that's it. Oh, it's profound, isn't it? I know. I know. Very deep. Um, don't worry. You know, I worried so much about what people thought and whether I was good enough. Don't worry. Because enjoying every moment is more important. You know, I'm 40 now and I've lost friends who have been younger than I. And and we've all lost people, but you realise that you don't know how long you've got. And every moment you just have to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy your job, move on from it. If, you don't, if you're not happy in your moment, move on from it. And I had to make those decisions where it wasn't easy, wasn't being easy. And my advice would be, Probably should have been a bit braver. Should have been a bit braver in my younger self and not have allowed myself to have been pushed around so much, perhaps. But my biggest piece of advice is just don't worry. It will all be okay in the end. (laughs) Will it? Will it? (laughs) And for you, what would you like to see happen next? Whether that be in your career, in your life, what would you like to see happen in the future? Oh, gosh. Um, I've had some very vague answers to this question, to be fair. I spe- And it's a very open-ended question. Hugh Stevens, yeah. I was chatting to the radio DJ, Hugh Stevens, and he said that he'd like to win the lottery, uh, <laughs> which, which, you know. That's a great, great answer. That's a great answer. I did have a couple of scratch cards for my birthday, actually. None of them came up trumps, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, it never happens to anyone. Uh, yeah, I haven't won the lottery, which is a real shame. But I, I would like, you know what? Through my career, through that moment where he shouted my name, and Lloyd Webber punched the air, that moment changed my life, and my career and lifestyle has continued to build from from being Connie. I just want to be Connie in the moment for the next ten years, and. I'm not going to worry about the future. I'm just going to worry about the now. That's a relaxed thing to say, isn't it? Oh, I love it. It's great. It's inspiring. Is um, it? It's very inspiring. <laughs> uh, Connie, from all of us, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Um, we wish you all the best with whatever comes next. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, Sam. Sham? Who's Sham? I don't know. Who is Sham? <laughs> this interview is not a Sham. Oh, <laughs> hope you've enjoyed this episode of in the spotlight for more tv and showbiz news subscribe to our newsletter on walesonline.co.uk